get us going. Well, welcome today to um, today's Truett Church Network webinar. Um, our guest today is Dr. Todd Bolsinger from Fuller Seminary, um, author of Canoeing the Mountains, author of the newly released book, God in the Pandemic, or excuse me, that was Leadership in a Time of Pandemic. Man, cardinal error. I quoted the book from yesterday. This is why I always have notes. Um, but uh, which is just an incredible resource that I've read through twice now over the last few weeks and look forward to, um, to diving into today. Todd, thanks for coming back with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. It really is. It's really my pleasure to be on with you again. I, you have a great network of folks who are really curious and eager to go, and I'm, I'm glad to support anything in Texas. You know, my daughter is a, <laughs> is a minister in Texas, so yeah. Well, you know, as people say, you might not have been born here, but you get here as quick as you can. So there's still hope for you, Todd. There's still hope to come on over. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll visit. I'll visit a lot, especially in the winter. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Stay away from August. Um, That has been a redeeming grace during this time. We've had about the mildest, rainiest, most beautiful spring in a long time. For those of us uh, that can get out a little bit, that has been nice for the Texans having to stay at home. well, you, as we mentioned, this is our first uh, repeat guest and uh, would have no one else but you want to be that. And so we're really thankful um, for this resource you've put out and to come visit with us again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, it's nice to be here. I mean, it's been, there's been a lot of conversations in the last uh, eight or nine weeks, right? Lots of, it's been a whirlwind of learning for all of us. I was looking, I think it has been eight weeks since we visited. And uh, as we're seeing, every couple weeks brings its new challenges and new learning curves. Mm-hmm. And for every question, uh, it seems like we answer, we have three more and new challenges. So tell us a little bit about um, this book and how it came about. And um, yeah, what, what brought the book about? Why do you feel like you need to write this? Well, you know, so I'm um, my original the book that I've been uh, spending the most time on has been a book called Canoeing the Mountains, which is a book about leading change. And for the vast better part of five years, I've been traveling around the country talking about leading change. And it was really built on the premise that there was a massive change happening in the church, the change from a Christendom world where church was in the center of culture to a post-Christendom world where people still needed Jesus, but the church didn't have the same kind of cultural uh, currency and that that's been a big change for people. And, and that's been a rapid change because after 1700 years or so of Christendom, you now had in one generation post Christendom. Well, then of course, what happened was a pandemic hit and the whole world changed in about 40 minutes. Right? <laughs> Most of, I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I literally went to webinars and I asked people, when did you know the world changed? And people have a date. They, they have a moment like the NBA stopped. Right, the uh, the final four was canceled. The Magic Madness was canceled. Um, all of our playing parts. I had 15 speaking engagements canceled in like one weekend, and all of a sudden we realized that this world is changing so dramatically, and the capacity to bring to live into change when you're so disoriented is really hard. And at the same time, I so I was I I got another book coming out in November that's about resilience, and my publisher said, look, what if you were to pull together some con, con- uh, comments from the both books and to some you know, real synopsis that could be used right now about adaptive change and practicing resilience that people could use. And so they raced it out and I'm really grateful to my publisher and it's been fun to talk to people about it. Well, it's a timely word. Um, and I think for many that have read Canoeing the Mountains, which is probably most on the call, 
Um, we certainly use it at Truett. I think Gaynor Yancey, who holds a, a dual appointment in School of Social Work in Truett, has said she uses it both social work and her Truett courses. She put it at in the mm. comments. Um, it, wow. The first part will be a bit familiar of kind of a grounding of adaptive leadership, transformation leadership model, transformational leadership model, and then a turn a little bit. But it's a, we, I think we'll have the link to that posted on Amazon. It's like three, four yeah. bucks, something. Um, it's yeah. definitely worth your time. Um, so, um, so you've done a lot of these and as mm -hmm. we've communicated back and forth, when you emailed about this, you've been learning some things about leadership through this that you wanted mm -hmm. to share. So kind of the first overarching question, what are you learning about leadership through this crisis? Well, one of the parts about leadership is that, um, the notion that we, um, we have a tendency when things speed up, um, to kind of get caught up in how fast they're speeding up, right? It's almost like we get caught up in it. I was taught, I was coaching with a, I coach a megachurch pastor this last week. And he said to me, you know, and I got excited in the first few weeks, it was hard. And we were all, it's like, we were all rolling up our sleeves. And I felt like we were spiritual firefighters working together to make things happen. And, you know, he opened up a Facebook live thing where he was doing a Bible study every morning and the church was loving it. Like, like here's this larger church and they could get on and literally chat him and text him and he was praying for them and he loved it. And he said, I felt like all of a sudden I'm exhausted. I've been running like it's a sprint and I got to start thinking of it as a marathon. And, and that's been some of the conversation that many people have had. They were trying to survive the pandemic. I mean, Andy Crouch did this great article that everybody's referring to where it was like, it's a blizzard. We're going to hunker down. Well, now we wonder if it's a winter that might last for a few weeks or a month. Now we're wondering if it's actually a little ice age and it's going to be a long-term change. And what, you know, innovation and adaptive change is about substantive long-term change for the sake of surviving and thriving. And I think that's what most people are now having to learn is you're having to learn to lead differently because it's going to be for the long haul. And like a, like a runner who gets out, a marathon runner who gets out sprinting, you got to slow yourself down, get into a rhythm without stopping and keep hammering through. And that has been the odd part of this particular crisis. It's not a hurricane. Well, to use the blizzard, winter, ice age, it's taken a while to figure out which one of these it is <laughs> and what, yeah, yeah, to know how fast to run. Because sometimes we've all needed to sprint, but we can't sprint yeah. forever. Um, yeah. You know, as I said, and, the first, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Let me just say one other thought. The, the one of the things that has been really interesting to me, and this is, I think this is what shows up in the, in the book for Leadership for Time Pandemic is, you know, COVID as a disease attacks the underlying conditions in a body that's not healthy. Mm. What's really happening is people are becoming much more aware that not only do they need to protect themselves, but they got to be much more aware of their underlying health. I think about this because, you know, my father is 77 years old and has probably every underlying condition that they mention. I mean, literally, I'm like, if, the, if an Uber, if a, if a delivery person shows up at their house, it could be bad for my dad, right? What I'm realizing is the church is now getting a moment to think about our underlying condition. And this is a sobering moment for us, but a necessary one, where we've got to ask ourselves the question about what is being revealed through COVID and through this pandemic and through this moment that we need to take a look at that maybe we have not taken a look at before. And we have some space to do so, don't we? Which is mm -hmm. right. Yeah, a, a blessing in the midst of the difficulty to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, the first kind of section of the book is 
kind of an overview of, of um, what we've talked about on here before, adaptive leadership, transformational leadership model, and then you turn to discuss resiliency. In the first uh, kind of section of that, you mentioned, it's really titled, Stress Makes a Leader. Um, mm -hmm. And you write this, you say that what gets hammered into a leader becomes the very attributes they will use to hew hope from despair. Uh, first off, great sentence. Um, very, I liked it. Uh, but can you expound on that? I mean, how does stress make a leader? Well, the first thing is part of that sentence that is so great is, is not my own. That's Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> like, like, so hewing hope from despair in the, in the, it was an amazing, we all know that, that incredible, I have a dream speech, which, you know, especially with what's been going on in our country in the last week, we need to be reminded of. But there's this, been, um, this amazing piece where in the middle of it, he talks about how hard it's been for people. Like he literally is looking out at a sea of people on the Washington Mall and he's looking in their faces and he's, he's seeing how hard it's been. And he says to them, with this faith, there's the phrase, with this faith. And what he referred to was he just quoted Isaiah about how the mountains will be made flat and how there'll be a rough place will be made a plain and a, and a river will run through it. And he goes, with this faith, this faith, the world is going to be transformed today. We will be able to hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. And my favorite part of that is the notion of hewing, right? Like not blood, it's not blasting through a mountain of despair. It's not shrinking in the face of despair. It's when you face this thing that is like a giant mountain of discouragement, you learn to transform it. And he literally does parallelism. Any of us who've you know, taken, uh, studied the scriptures, you know, parallelism, two ideas to make one point, right? Hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a symphony of brotherhood. What an amazing phrase. So the point is, how do we become a tool that can hew? How do we become somebody who when we face, when we face or our people are facing despairing situations, we don't just shrink and we don't bludge, you know, bludgeon through them, but we actually use that to transform into stones of hope. I just, that phrase stones of hope just reminds me of, you know, Jesus being the living stone and our being stones built into a dwelling place for God. So that notion, what it takes to become that tool is actually stress and it's very focused stress. And it's stress that is found in the practices of, that, are, that shape a leader for their moment. And what we need to recognize is this notion of how spiritual practices, when focused toward a particular missional end, become even more powerful in the formative life of, of a person or a leader. And how do we become tools that hew? That's a that feels like one of those questions that you could drill down on for quite a while, just even in our mm -hmm. own exploration of self and who we are as yep. leaders of, um, and our own yep. tactics of, of bludgeoning or avoidance or whatever it may be. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. Um, you know, you continue on um, to discuss a rule of life for changed mm -hmm. leaders, um, yep. which I particularly liked. Um, would you maybe for those that aren't familiar with what a rule of life is, Maybe just talk a little about what is a rule of yeah. life and then a specific focus on that for change leaders. That was a kind of a twist to a general rule of life that I've experienced yeah. that I found helpful. Yeah. yeah. So, so a rule of life comes out of the whole uh, kind of the monastic tradition, right? So St. Benedict wrote a rule of, of 
space for people to live by. And what they meant by rule is a certain set of practices that we all agree that we're going to live by in the monastic community. And so, you know, I often say that whether you know it or not, you probably have a set of principles or rules or um, it, it's not rules like, you know, uh, like, you know, don't kick the cat or don't, I mean, it's not rules like that. It's rules meaning like a, a, a something that regulates. It's been, the phrase that's been used is like a trellis that holds up a vine to keep the fruit from going onto the dirt, right? It's the structure. Well, when I first became a Christian, I was told, here's the things you need to do in order to grow in your faith as a disciple. You know, regular quiet time. Don't avoid the, 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 the fellowship of the believers. You know, um, develop a prayer life. Develop the scripture in your life. I, I said that I was, a, I was a young youth pastor, so my rule of life was almost monastic, right? I was single, so I was celibate, whether I wanted to or not sometimes. I was, um, I was a youth pastor, so I, was, I had a vow of poverty. <laughs> and, and because I was involved in ministry, I had a vow of stability. I was really deeply connected to a very particular people. But then now, I'm a 56-year-old married man who makes more money than my mother-in-law ever thought I would. And, um, and when, I, when I'm not in quarantine, I travel 100,000 miles a year. So what kind of rule do I need for my life to be anchored? What kind of spiritual practices do I need? And as a pastor for years, the most fundamental spiritual practice of my life was the deep study of scripture. I mean, every day, so that I preached, because I preached it every week and I taught it several times a week. Well, now I'm a seminary professor and a leadership change consultant. I rarely preach. When I get asked to preach, I have about four sermons. They're all pretty good. Like <laughs> I do them over and over again. And um, but now, what is the role of scripture in my life today, as opposed to when I was a young Christian and then a pastor? And now, so a rule is the way in which you live out the sense of spiritual practices that are really about the way in which you your discipleship. And what I do in the book, when the book is coming out in November, and what I talk about here is. We need to think about our spiritual practices as shaping us for the challenge in front of us, like a chisel being sharpened and filed or tempered because it's going to face a particularly hard mountain. And so rethinking our spiritual practices is a really important step for leaders in a changing world. Yeah, and, and that I think that was the... Um the twist for lack of a better phrase um, in our doctoral work, we had rules of life that we were part of our formation, but um, not just for our general spiritual growth, which is good and helpful and probably necessary. But as we want to be changed leaders, what is the rule of life to specifically go through yeah. this um, and yeah. to form ourselves um, in Christ to uh, yeah, take on this challenge and these changes that are needed. Um, you mentioned two things. Um, that I think uh, when you think about change, many leaders, it may not be what you would first think of as the necessary components of change. As you mentioned, we, we think more about doing um, and, and systems and programs and things often. Um, listening and looking. I mean, could mm -hmm. you talk just a bit about the importance yeah. of listening and looking for the change leader? Yeah, yeah. So, so think about this for a second. Um, as a pastor, my primary work was oftentimes thinking and praying and talking. <laughs> right? So I study, I think, I talk. Well, when you're trying to lead change, one of the things that you learn from the adaptive language is that adaptive leadership requires you to, with Raul Heifetz's phrase, listen on the dance floor and look from the balcony. And what he was saying was, 
we have to be down listening close to people so that in the swirl of activity and energy and anxiety, you can hear the voices. You have to be close enough. And this is one of the things that many pastors I know during this COVID experience have experienced as being one of the hardest things. I don't get to be with my people. I'm not on the patio. I'm not in the fellowship hall. We're not drinking coffee. I'm, I can't go to their house. I can't hold their hands. And then people are saying stuff like, but you know, through social media, through Facebook, through comments, through emails, through phone calls. I'm now listening to people and hearing their voices. So one of the things that has to happen is you have to listen deeply to people because in leading people through change, they need to have a sense that they, you are attuned to them. Like there's al it's almost a leadership superpower, empathy and emotional intelligence. It is incredible because we think of empathy as coming and being with people and in the being with them, we're just caring for them. What we start to realize is, is when you just go and empathize and attune to people, they begin to trust you and almost unconsciously, you begin to journey together. And it overcomes the resistance that is there. So that's the listening part. It's a really important to be able to be close, to be attuned, to be empathic, empathy and attunement. And, the, and empathy from a distance is really hard. So this is one of the parts that Many of us who are in this moment are trying to figure out how do I stay connected to my people? How do I listen to them? How do I talk to them? How do I connect to them? The second part is looking and looking is the opposite. You got to get above it. You got to get beyond it. You got to get out of the swirl. You got to see the larger system at work. And in the larger system at work means you need to have these moments where you step up on the balcony and see the system. So he said, it's like, think about if you're chaperoning a junior high dance, you're only going to know what's going on if you can see it from above, right? Or, you know, the NFL has that famous all 22 camera that shows all 22 people. You can see a lot more there. You, you can notice, you know, if someone misses a read on a, on a pass play from up there. So what two of the practices that are needed for resilience are that capacity to tune, which is listening, and then have a rhythm of looking that allows you to then adapt. You're not going to adapt well when you're down in the swirl. You're going to react. You have to have both that combination, which I tell you for leaders, that's why leadership is exhausting. You're running up and down stairs. You're all, you're up, down, up, down. you're changing. You're having to get perspective all the time. So. And um, I, I kind of like the verb hue. Attune is such a well-chosen word that there's a, you know, a bit of, um, reciprocity and attunement. I mean, it kind of yeah. goes both ways. There's, it's relational um, and it, it has to be constantly maintained. It's something that mm -hmm. can be lost very easily with distance. And so I, I thought that word was particularly well, it, it gave me a lot to think about of as pastor, how do you main, you have to maintain that closeness over time and that refuse to uh, provide distance there. Uh, you also mentioned that the listening doesn't just happen to those currently in your congregation or those currently making the noise, but you must listen on behalf of the people for whom the cha church is changing. Um, could you speak yeah. about that? I thought that was particularly profound. Yeah, so I think one of the hardest parts about being in the church system is that the voices that are usually the loudest and the closest to you are the people who are usually most anxious about change. 
Don't you dare change that hymnal. Don't you dare, to, don't you dare mess with my favorite. Don't you? I remember one time we changed the doxology, just the doxology. We just used a different tune and people were like, we are, that is not, that is not giving praise to God. <laughs> like, like, well, if only voices that are around you are the ones who are the closest to you, you will inevitably attune to the status quo. So you also got to hear the voices of people who, have, who, are, who, who we don't often hear. And this is the reason for learning to listen deeply in the world, learning to listen to voices you don't often listen to. Um, I mean, a lot of my own internal work in the last couple of years has been listening to my sisters and brothers of color talk about the experience of what it is to be a person of color in our culture. That is not my experience. And it's taken me a while. I have to just admit to, to tune into, hear it and be aware of it because it's just like it was like i didn't have that register because it wasn't my experience and so learning to think about that learning to pay attention to people who have left the church learning to pay attention to our neighbors um i mean i said that my life my appreciation my appreciation of covid my i was resistant i'm like i'm a person who believes in leading change i was really resistant i thought we were overreacting until i started listening to my brother who is in Italy, and my son, who is in Seattle, and a pastoral colleague who is in New York, tell me about their experience. Well, their experience changed my ability to attune to them. Um, I will put a little plug in here. If anyone does first have questions um, for Dr. Volsinger, feel free to type those in the chat, and we'll get to a few of those in just a minute. Um, you know, I think in this particular moment. Um, racial reconciliation and equity and uh, so many things are on our mind. We're hosting a webinar next week with Malcolm uh, Foley, who's a PhD student at Baylor and a, a minister, lo local minister, who's doing his PhD work on lynching and the church response, um, is going to talk with us about uh, racial healing as pastoral care and just mm -hmm. has some amazing things to share. And so you can look for some more on that. Um, that we'll be talking about next week that I'm uh, Jack Bodenhammer will be leading that conversation, but I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and, and, you know, I think in general in the, the listening and looking so much of it is about um, not rushing to action, quick fixes and our gut responses, which many of us have sort of trained and thrived on gut responses, which sometimes are helpful, but um, that's often counterintuitive for many of us to yeah. look listen before we'd rush to action mm -hmm. it, it is it's a train it's a training it's a type of so this is we talk about spiritual practices right you talk about practices that form us if you're trying to be formed in the and how to deal how to uh, engage resistance and to be resilient then one of the things you're going to need to do is develop some capacities that go beyond our natural inclination up to this point well, I, I think this gives just a glimpse of what a helpful resource this is to, well, it has been to me over the last two weeks of reading it and, and will be for many others. Um, we, we have one question that's come in from Evelyn Afong, a minister here uh, in Waco area. Says, what are the aspects of our church culture, maybe specifically our Baptist culture, which I know you've been around us a lot, but you're not uh, quite one of us, that help the church to change and those elements that hinder change? So aspects that help and hinder change. Well, th this is a great, great question. And I don't know if I can answer the Baptist part. That's probably not fair to ask a Presbyterian to answer the Baptist part. But I can tell you this. 
One of the parts about church culture that both helps and hinders is the tendency for churches to become tribes. I mean, if you just think about it, we, we tend to, I mean, there's all this study that says that you find yourself feeling at home in a church within minutes, like before anybody has said anything, anybody, there's just a sense that these are my people, I connect to these folks. And that is helpful when you're all going to go through something together. Like in this moment, you watching people reach and care for the people in their church in a deep way. It's also not helpful when you're trying to reach people who don't feel as if they connect. Like, like the more and more we move into a world where the church is not normally people's lives, where they don't have the same common. Re remember the word familiar and family are connected etymologically. I always say to people that when people get to something familiar, they feel like they're at home. Well, when the church is now more unfamiliar than ever, we've got to work harder to help people feel welcome there. And that means for a lot of us, being willing to acknowledge where we kind of have insider speak and insider talk and culture that is built that where you know you belong or not. Like, you know, it's like every time I go to Texas, someone that tells me says something about visiting and I'm like, oh, I'm in Texas. That's a visiting, that's a Texas word. We don't say we're going to visit in, in California, right? And, and people know that I'm not from there because I don't use that phrase. There's, there's pieces about, so think about culture as the unconscious ways that we've been shaped. Some of those are helpful and some of those are not, which is one of the reasons why we need to get above it and ask some larger questions. Yeah, I love the metaphor, and I think it's a good biblical metaphor of church as family. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of things positive about it. But there's nothing harder to join than someone else's family to break into yeah. that. You know, yeah. it's made to be pretty insular, and to to work with that metaphor positively while reforming it um, in many and keeping making it porous is is a yeah a never ending practice to draw us inward even yeah. as we reach outward. Um, yeah. Lillian Hines, uh, true grad, is a pastor. She teaches some for us. Ask um, what are practical ways to listen to people who are distanced. Well, so this is actually one of the places where those of us who've been to a lot of school have a lot of history with this, right? So I have spent the better part of my adult life listening to people who are dead. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, I, the people of the church, the people of the scriptures, I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the things about my church, one of my, I'm a, I have a minor in historical theology. So I spent a lot of my time reading people who are dead which means that you can listen to them. You can hear their experience or learning to listen to people who are on the margins. I mean, and for the margins, it can be anybody who's not in the center of your world. So for me, different experiences. I mean, I have students from New Zealand who are talking about this experience of COVID very differently than we, we talk about it. I, I told you what it was like to listen to my brother who was in Italy, listen to, listen to my son whose girlfriend was literally working in the convalescent home and who was trying to tell me two weeks before we were social distancing, dad, this is coming, this is coming. So learning to listen is just to attune yourself. Listen, I mean, somebody once said to me, um, I had a, a, an older woman in our church who every time I preached, she would say, she would pray for me, remind Todd that the miracle is in the ear. <laughs> it's like, not what he's gonna say, it's what they're going to say. So the way we learn to listen to people has as much to do about our attitude and our openness to believing them, hearing their experience, and opening ourselves to that. And that can happen in lots of ways, um, not just face-to-face. -face. 
And that's the difficulty as well of pastoring at times is back to Bowen family systems theory. Yep. Uh, part of that is to refuse distance to some, to refuse distance to grow. Um, if we're talking about not just physical distance, but emotional distance and others yep. and how to maintain proximity and, and closeness um, when it is difficult uh, and to listen, that's, I mean, that's the deep yeah. end of the pool stuff that, uh, that can, yeah, really, yeah. can lead to some of the difficulty, but also where yeah. Yeah, there's an there's an um, I lead these workshops. We're going to actually uh, I'll give you a link for the thing we're we're doing next year that we're actually going to be hosting in Arlington, Texas. Um, there are the adaptive change workshops, and one of the things we teach people to do is in the church is to not only learn to listen to each other, but actually learn to listen to people in the community. And uh, one exercise that we do is we give them like three simple little survey questions that have nothing to do with the church and everything to do with the community. And what you find really quickly is that there are so many voices that you haven't heard before. And I was doing this with one church who is literally in Austin, the church is in Austin. And Austin, you know, is a growing young adult population church, you know, community. And they have a, and one of the biggest things that everybody says that Austin, even before COVID, young adults were experiencing loneliness. And I did it with this whole church, it was amazing but they had almost none of that feedback came into the system. Well, what they got aware of was they only had one millennial or under millennial on their staff. So part of listening is getting people, a diverse group of people to listen. As soon as they began to open that up, they began to realize, oh, we've got to spend more time listening to others. And that means having more people out there listening to get the different experiences. Tell us a little bit about these adaptive change workshops that y'all are doing. What are the, what's that going to be like? Well, so um, I'm uh, Fuller Seminary and I'm partnering with Fresh Expressions US, which is this great organization that works on how traditional churches can create uh, experimental models of church. And they've asked us to come and put together some cohorts that are basically small teams of people from churches are going to come together and over an 18 month period are going to learn a process of leading adaptive change by actually learning the process, doing experiments, and then reporting back in and working with the church on bringing change. And what it does is it allows you, it literally coaches you through a process that you get to work with other churches doing that. And by the and what you're trying to do is actually practice. I mean, adaptive change is built on experimentation. So you actually need to do the work. You can't just read the books for a guy who wrote a book, you know, right? And so these these um, cohorts we're putting together from churches around the country. We're making as diverse as we can from different backgrounds, um, and we're going to be some of it's going to be face to face, and some of it's going to be online. And we've got coaches to work people through a process. So I know we know Fresh Expressions well. Chris Backert and us have partnered together. We work with mm -hmm. A and Missio Alliance quite a bit. Uh, we sponsored a webinar a few weeks ago with yeah. Missio Alliance. Um, so, but this is not just for fresh expression churches. No. This is for inherited church, traditional church, anybody, any churches that are wanting to learn more and practice this, it's for the whole kind of range. Yeah, I always say that what you're trying to do is you want to find, you're, you're learning the experience of learning how to do this kind of work of observing before acting so that you just don't default back. And you're learning how to do safe, modest, aligned experiments, right? They're like how to create new possibilities that doesn't destroy your church by, by doing some experiments. That's, that's what, so it's really made for churches that are trying to learn how to experiment, how to be creative. So. Well, that's exciting. Uh, man, that's an incredible opportunity for churches to participate in. Um, that also means you may be driving up I-35 between Arlington and Austin. So 
I'm always good for Mexican food when you're coming through, Todd. Anytime, open invitation. Yeah. I know the place. I know the place. I'll That's meet right. you there. Yeah. Well, here's my last question. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of pastors I'm visiting with, you're visiting with, are, are pretty tired. Um, and this has taken a lot out of us in a, a lot of ways, and we still don't know exactly what it's going to look like. You write that what um, many leaders face when change becomes difficult and remains difficult, which is my kind of phrasing of that, is a failure of a heart, what Edwin Freeman might have called a failure of nerve. Um, you know, cynicism, disconnection, pulling away, quietly abandoning that transformational journey, and that resilience is the answer, which is what your new book will be about in November fully. So for those experiencing now a failure of heart, some of that cynicism, um, perhaps depression, other things that come with that, what would be your word to them today on facing tomorrow and this Sunday? Yeah. So, so it's interesting because Edwin Freeman talked about a failure of nerve, which is really when you collude with the people who want to keep the status quo, where you say, okay, the resistance is too hard. We're not going to keep going forward. We'll stop. We'll make everybody happy. There's a bunch of us who said, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep moving the mission forward. But what we start realizing is after a while, because it's so hard, we can get cynical. Our hearts can get closed. It's, it's, it's Moses saying, to, saying, okay, the first time I argued that you'll keep them alive, now I want you to get rid of them. If you're not going to get rid of them, kill me. <laughs> it's Moses literally saying, if you're not going to change them, then why don't, if you, then why don't you just take me, right? What we need is to be able to acknowledge that our exhaustion comes um, because we have lost our hearts. And that one of my favorite quotes about this comes from a poet named David White, who's having a conversation with Brother David Steindl Ross. And he said, you know, the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest, it's wholeheartedness. And these practices are really about how we recover a wholeheartedness. A wholeheartedness by focusing on what matters, the most important things and not everything, uh, what to get clearer, a, a wholeheartedness that comes from being creative, from doing experiments that don't have to, that don't have to be technical fixes that change everything. They don't have to be, you know, a quick fix, just a small experiments, trying new things, learning that spark of excitement, and also um, from being more connected. Empathy helps us with our exhaustion. If we can actually sit and attune and watch people come to life, then we can begin to come to life also. And so a lot of the, the overcoming of a failure of nerve and a failure of heart is built on the developing of this resilience, which is both stronger and more flexible. Not to become a hammer that hammers through, it's to become a chisel that transforms. That's a great word. Would you have, that is a good, great word of encouragement. Would you have a blessing or final word that we can go out on? Yeah, I guess I would say this, which is I think nothing, we were, we were originally, I mean, all of us came to this because we were first disciples before we were leaders. And a disciple means being a learner. And I think that one of, this is a moment for all of us who are in leadership to go back to our first calling and be learners again. And I think nothing is more, creates more resilience than to lead the learning. Lead the learning, experience, keep experiencing your own transformation, and you'll find other people coming along with you. And so be a disciple, be a learner, and keep leading the learning. And you, I think you'll find uh, God will lead you into the next steps. Todd, thank you so much for your, for your voice, for your witness to us today, for your friendship. 
I always enjoy our visits and I look forward to more in the future, but thanks for today. Indeed. Take care. Yes, yeah. sir. Have a good day. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.